Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Bentornati a Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. We are practicing our Italian today, uh, terribly, uh, for to, because we have very, very special, wonderful guests joining us today uh, from a million time zones away. It's very early uh, here in the U.S. But we have our friend Justine Hintz, teacher, artist, uh, currently uh, teaching at a school in Arezzo. And we are so, so happy to have you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's going to be unnecessarily Italian day. Yes, of course. Why not? <laughs> Which is fine. That perfectly explains the work of Dario Argento. Exactly. Ita- no, it was very unnecessarily Italian. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Justine. I, I've wanted to have you on this show for a long time. I've wanted um, to be on this show for a long time. Yeah, just and, him, though. I didn't want you here. But uh, yeah. Joshua could care less. <laughs> Joshua just wants any excuse to... Like say words in a foreign language, right. so um, you know he's gonna go to work tomorrow and he's gonna be like Bentornati at work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not gonna be saying no, that. What not. are the words for fuck off? Like we need those words. I need all the <laughs> bad words. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna just like this is gonna be one of those scenes in like a parody movie where they're speaking like they're speaking a foreign language but it's not any like it's not coherent like in i forget one of the scary movies it's like they're speaking japanese but they're saying just brands they're like <laughs> toshiba sony <laughs> and i'm like i'm just gonna be like ah ben tornati a versace <laughs> <laughs> you just said versace good versace. Job. yes exactly yes, you got I know. That good job, Joe. versace <laughs> <laughs> Not Versace. Exactly. Oh my gosh, what are people doing? How's uh, how's life? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Justine, since you're um, in Italy, they've been really hit hard by this whole COVID situation. How are you doing? Yeah, okay. I mean, it's been it's been about three months now. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's actually I mean. For here in Arezzo, it's quite similar to the amount of time that it's been in California as well. Um, but we're yeah, but I mean, they were hit hard though, weren't they? Yes, I mean? yes, yeah. There were parts of it that really were. Um, but you know, we're slowly kind of getting back into quote unquote normal life. So, well, <laughs> the new normal. I mean, the new normal. Yes, yeah. Well, so we'll we'll see you know, how things progress, you know, but like at school, for example, you know, everything is online and we're continuing that way. So yeah. I'm a zoom Um, master now. Oh yeah. Are you, are you, so you doing a lot of zoom? Oh yes. Yes. Is there, is there an Italian word for zoom Zoom. (laughs) or is it just zoom? It's Zoom. It's the Italian word for mute. Yes. (laughs) Muta. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, I was yeah. gonna say, I'm like, it's. I don't want to be one of those people. It's like, is it just mute, muto, mute, mute? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Um, apologies, dear listener, because Joe's I, going to to do that for the rest of this episode. One of my one of my quarantine and I told Josh Justine this. One of my quarantine yes. hobbies was to um, was to start uh, Italian on Duolingo, so that way, like you know, I can just send her random phrases like <laughs> "I am the man" and. <laughs> Which which Duolingo is great because it's as inclusive as it can be. So it's like, you know, a name. What's this phrase? And it shows like a woman in like um an like a Muslim woman in like hijab, and it's like I am a woman, and I'm like, oh, that's great. Uh, and sometimes like the man doesn't look like a man, and the woman doesn't look like a woman, and then I don't get points for that because I'm like, well, this could obviously be something. Anyway, long tangent. Uh- <laughs> What does a man look like, Joe? I know what you know, oh, <laughs> Joshua. <Lord. laughs> it's the it's the app. It's the inherent sexism and non inclusiveness <laughs> of our binary people of, of the Duolingo of the technology. App. Yeah. Yes, that mm-hmm. that little owl um, doesn't is only understands the binary. Um, yeah, just Justina, just a, just a little bit, just to move the conversation forward. So. Um, <laughs> Justine is What's a part. Italian word for four? No, I'm kidding. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to encourage this. <laughs> the um, so Justine um is a part of like the like OG American Horror Story coven. Yes. Um, where because yeah. she started watching around the same time I started. Maybe even you start probably start watching a little bit earlier. I don't know. I think at the same time as you, I started with Coven. Oh, good. Awesome. So, so we started coming over to Joshua's to watch Coven around the same time. And then that just evolved into everything. And then I think I remember the last season that you were with us in the house was for Freak Show, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. And that was a fun one because there was like the premiere was like an actual Freak Show. So people showed up in costume. (laughs) Um, I'll just never forget. I'll just never forget it because like you, uh, Justine is not a fan of clowns. And, you know, Freak Show has that lovely scene with Twisty right at the beginning. And she was sitting on the floor and, like, Twisty came up and she was like, ah! She was just... Um, and I was like, oh, this is great. I was like, are you gonna... I looked at her, I'm like, are you gonna be able to do this whole season? Because this seems like a pretty, like... Seems like a pretty uh, significant character. I know, right? Yeah, but you've processed that because di- you did clown I work. I did. Huh? I did. Well, yes, I know. I, I was afraid of clowns and then I became one. So, you know. Yes, there uh, you go. <laughs> the only way out is through. Yes. I don't know if that's right, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Alanis Morissette song, so it must be true. Yeah, it must know? be, you know. And, and, and. I'm I'm like I feel like I'm rushing the story the story of Justine. Um so Justine went on to uh receive her went on to study a master's degree um at uh in uh Arezzo, uh right yeah. in Arezzo at uh for uh physical theater. Yes. Um if Justine could you tell our listeners who may not know uh what physical theater is? <laughs> oh gosh. That's a question that, you know, we're still, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It could be like a whole podcast, not even like an episode, but like a whole podcast in and of itself. No, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a way of discovering or exploring theater, 
um, through the body also. So not just through words. You know, a lot of people I think would look at it as like solely physical with very little words or no words at all, which is possible. But kind of my takeaway from it, having come from, you know, the traditional theater world um, is, a, you know, learning how to use your body as well as the words to help to tell the story. Um, and so we studied, yeah, clown, circus. Um, we studied uh, Jacques Lecoq, who's kind of like, not quite mime, but, you know, very physical theater. We did um, contemporary dance and uh, kind of like modern dance work and uh, mask, comedia dell'arte, lots of many, lots of things. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell, in a very small, small <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is succinct. We appreciate that. Just, you know, <laughs> we're just always trying to teach people things here. You know, we had our mutual friend Tiffany on and, oh. you know, she talked about um, trying to teach method acting to oh, Norwegians. Gosh. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, uh, we had another friend on who talked about, um, uh, therapy, like theatrical therapy, drama oh, yeah. therapy, you know, like acting out, uh, you know, trauma or things yes, like that, you know, yes. the, the process that, so, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. We've got so, so <laughs> many cool, uh, cool folks in our circle doing really interesting yes. uh, things in the world. You know, you are living. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we just kind of skipped our usual stuff just to dive right in, which is awesome. You know, might as well, <laughs> right? Um, yes. you know, nobody's watching anything. Nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's doing anything. Uh, I know. <laughs> well, well, we are watching, watching things. things. Our yeah. Netflix yeah, yeah, and our, our Hulus and all of those sorts of things. Yes. Um, we talked a little bit before the show cause you're not, you, you're not watching the latest season of drag race because no. it's not available yet. <laughs> well, we look forward to it being available so you can I know. join so Joe. I can, and- yes. <laughs> I do have a, I do have one fun question, right? Oh, so, yeah. So you've been, so you've been quarantined and, you know, isolating with, uh, with your partner, with your boyfriend. Yes. Um, is there some sort of like, is there some sort of like weird, like American or English language show that maybe you've like shown him that you've binged together or, um, anything like, is there anything strange from strange quote unquote from American culture that you just like, you must see this. Like this is, you know, this is toddlers and tiaras. I don't know. <laughs> oh you know what? So we have a few new channels. Um, and so we have been watching some kind of like trashy American stuff. So like in the mornings, there's this show on, this channel called like D max, which is like discovery max. Um, and it's called uh dual survival. And it's these like, yes. Two guys. <laughs> yes, okay, <you> know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we watch that in the morning sometimes while we're having breakfast, you know, and we're like, you know, just getting a kick out of it. Um, and, you know, we found out the history of like what happened with Cody, the hunter gatherer, you know, and <laughs> why he was no longer on the show. And then, like, in the afternoon time around, like, lunch or after lunch, the only, like, kind of interesting thing online or on television is um, uh, Hardcore Pawn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which 
in Italian is called everybody. P-A-W-N. Get it? In Italian, they've also got a fun punny name. Um in Italian it's called um um Banco dei Pugni, which means like the uh a banco is like a stall, like at a market or something, and pugni is like fists. Uh, because uh, uh, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? The a low uh, a pawn shop in Italian is called Banco di Impegni, and so they put ah. this little like twist on it. Yeah, so we watch that, and and apparently they're really famous in Italy too because I think they're like Italian Americans or something, and so they're they're quite famous in Italy. The the family, so I guess that would be like our. Americanata trash that we watch here. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, dual survival for uh, many years was like a guilty pleasure of mine because, um, you know, I will never find myself in that context. I will never find myself in nature um, uh, in that way. So it's like, you know, if I wanted to learn how to cauterize a wound with gunpowder, then I definitely will. You know I definitely how to do will that figure now. that out. I will know how yes. to do that. Um, okay. I, I was just like, I was just like, I wonder if, cause I kept, I, as I'm like watching like random stuff and then, you know, I'm showing, uh, my boyfriend, like we're watching crazy ex-girlfriend right now. We're just watching all of this, like, um, television. Cause I, you know, I'm an indoor kid. So like TV movies were my, uh, were a big part of my growing up. And so, when I am showing him these things, I was like, man, I wonder if Justine's doing the same thing. And because then there's the added cultural element of like, right. like what, what what facet of American culture am I going to show you right now? Um, uh, but yeah, so thank you for humoring me. Yes, of course. <laughs> we have also watched a lot of like silly, like Will Ferrell, uh, you know, those kind of movies that we found on Netflix. Oh, that's good. You have to show him Anchorman. Yeah. Oh, he knows Anchorman. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's awesome. They know it's here. Yes. Apparently, Joe thinks Italy is like a giant rock that you all are living under. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard of the the Will Ferrell? Have you heard of this person? What? (laughs) What's going to happen is I'll go to Italy and they'll be like, where are you from? And I'll be like, oh, San Diego. Oh, San Diego. Oh, go fuck yourself, San Diego. (laughs) He's like, ah, milk was a bad idea. And I'm, this is, this has become offensive. Um, <laughs> you all job, can't Joe. see the hand gestures. <laughs> you can't see the hand gestures. Um, so, so, let's talk about horror, because that's what we're here to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> even though we're all horrified at Joe right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, in the second half of our conversation, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, Dario Argento's, uh, Inferno, uh, Italians, um, Italy has, uh, horror is, is a thing, you know, it's its own, it's like (laughs) the, the Italian approach to horror is, 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 um, it's, 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 I mean, it's very unique, uh, and wonderful, very influential, obviously, uh, on lots of American horror and, you know, beyond. Yes. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that in, in the next, uh, part of the episode, but just to kind of start the conversation, uh, 
first curious about your experiences with horror, Justine, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the voluntary way. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I can't, you know, I mean, I remember you coming over and joining us for Coven. I, you know, obviously when I first started inviting people over, I invited a lot of you that were acting, um, a lot of, you know, my favorite women that I knew that I was like, wow, this has just such a incredible cast of women involved in mm-hmm. it and it would just be great to have all of us together to watch it and kind of digest it week after week so i'm curious like before that like how much horror ha- did you voluntarily ingest right. <laughs> <laughs> um i think it kind of went in in waves like um when i was a kid i that's when I first experienced uh, a Pennywise in it. Um, I was always kind of interested in like, you know, kind of horror kind of things, but like maybe more bordering on like the fantasy um, side of it. And so I think that probably came from like watching some like uh, Japanese things with my grandmother and my father, you know, mm-hmm. there is definitely like a horror element, even in a lot of like, you know, children kind of things you know and and just even watching like television shows with my grandmother about like apes and sprites you know that were kind of devilish and whatnot so I was always kind of interested in it and I remember I was quite young and I was watching something on the sci-fi channel when I was a kid and I was so intrigued by um a young Jonathan Brandis (laughs) (laughs) on the screen and you know he's in this really kind of strange environment and this he opens a book and blood starts pouring out and I'm like, Ooh, what is this? I'm so intrigued. And I swear it was like 15 minutes before Pennywise appeared. Um, and then once I realized what I was watching, I threw the remote at the television and like ran out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> and thus began my <laughs> fear of clowns. Um, oh, Jonathan then- Brandis, R.I.P. I just watched I the never ending story too last uh, night just for, yes, I don't just know why, just because. because. And yeah, we had a whole little moment of like, oh, I man. know. But, anyways. Yes. <laughs> he was such a little like heartbreaker with his, you know, middle part and like long hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I honestly don't think I really watched much horror until college. Um, <laughs> I remember um, when I. When I was in England, I watched a few horror films at the cinema with my friends. Um, and I remember there was like one night a bunch of us went to go see the Amityville Horror. And then we all like had a sleepover in the kitchen uh, at someone's <laughs> flat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was great because all the women plus like the guys that were with us were all like very interested in Ryan Reynolds in that film. So, <laughs> you know, we like got through the night by chatting about him <laughs> and forgetting oh, yeah. about the horror parts. And then, um, yeah, I mean, after that, every once in a while, you know, watching it, but I don't think I really got into it again until um, maybe it was when I discovered the the Grand Guignol in theater that I started to kind of get into it again, maybe from like the performance side and realizing the kind of fun of it. And then, yeah, joining you with Kevin. Yeah, Yeah, look at this natural transition. I love that. You just like brought us right into the next part of the conversation. (laughs) 
the she's grand Pinole. Um, she's an expert. Yeah, look at that <laughs> Ex- expertise. Um, tell our tell our listeners, Grand Guignol. How would you, how yeah. would you define that? <laughs> the Grand Guignol. Yes, it was um, the the theater. Well, the theater of horror, as it was called, um, but really it was famous for what they called like the hot and cold shower. Um, so you'd have an evening of maybe four performances of like two really uh, deep horror plays that are meant to scare you. And then two kind of sexual farces that, you know, cool off the heat or vice versa. I don't know. Heat up after the scare. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, really, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of plays at this time in, in France um, around the time of uh, pre, pre-World War. Um, because once the World Wars happened, then that kind of is what stopped the Grand Guignol. Um, but yeah, I mean, really popular, taking things from the tabloids, you know, these like Jack the Ripper kind of stories. I mean, obviously that was in England, but these, you know, tabloid stories that you hear about people burning their lover with, you know, acid in the face and whatnot and putting it on stage and turning the audience kind of into a voyeur, which was um, kind of an interesting experiment that they they did of really trying to make the audience feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I love that. You know, and that is still like, I mean, that is it's such a human thing. Like, I love how you talked about like the hot and cold shower, because I feel like that is... Um, that is such a function of horror in general, you know, yeah. when, um, when we did um, like um, we talked about Candyman Joe, you know, and you remember his whole comment about like, I'm the reason like lovers cling closer together, you know, like mm. this, this like horror, this idea of horror is that, you know, of like this experience that makes us like glad we're alive. We get to kind of control our anxiety. You know, it is a little, um, it could be lascivious and gore and in sex, you know, so just, it kind of creates all these mixed emotions. So it just makes yes. sense for, especially like the French who are already a rather lascivious right. <laughs> <you know? laughs> society to kind of create this, this space where people could come and be, you know, horrified and also, you know, yeah. laugh and, you know, and just have all of these, this, this full emotional experience, yeah. um, you know. Which, and the original again, theater, the original theater was a church before, and so, like, the, the theater boxes were, like, little confessionals, you know? So <laughs> there's a whole added layer there, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there anything more, like, horrifying and sexually and violent than the, the Bible? Like, the church? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's so appropriate. I know. Joe, um, were you just, gonna, okay, yeah. Well, Justine, I have a, so I have a question, um, and this might be, <laughs> this might be, too deep so just i'm just prefacing with that as like to pay her for an hour of teaching okay i I was gonna say (laughs) just bear with me so so you mentioned that grand guignol um post uh, basically ceases to be post-world war right um right so is it because of just like the because of the horrors of actual reality people just did not want to see horror anymore Yes, it kind of became, once they started hearing reports and seeing images of the actual horrors in the world, it became more difficult for them to digest, not seeing the horror on stage, but I think um, taking enjoyment of seeing the horror on stage. There was this guilt factor that came into play um, that 
they couldn't really stand then seeing people being tortured in any kind of way on stage or seeing these horrible things happen uh, when they knew that things just like that or even worse were happening, you know, to their neighbors, to their countrymen and things. Um, so it really, yeah, drove things down. And, you know, they maybe kind of tried to keep things going with psychological thrillers, but then it just really wasn't the same after that. So so thank you for that. So my question is, um, and this is more, th- there's no right answer or wrong answer, but I'm, I'm curious <laughs> to know your thoughts, right? So the what happened with Grand Guignol is an example of how, like, you know, global, international tragedy will affect art like affects Mm. art and so right now we're living through global international tragedy um through this pandemic how do you feel as 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 an artist as a teacher um how do you feel um what do you feel are going to be the lasting effects or the potential impacts that you know outside of like physical distancing restrictions and all of that like can you can you tell us a little bit about what your sense of you know the lasting effects uh that the pandemic might have on just the different types of art that we produce because right. similarly to grand guignol like i in the beginning of this i it really i had to ask joshua to like choose lighter films <laughs> so that mm. way i you know did wasn't necessarily confronted with it and then it wasn't until fairly recently when i started watching stuff that was a little harder that i actually felt that release from like oh all of that anxiety i can just release into a film that i know that i'm gonna get through at the end of 90 minutes right um, but that being said like you know can you talk a little bit about like that and and your thoughts on it yeah I mean, I think definitely there's going to be uh, a push and a desire to lighten things up and to have it as a as a release of like joy, you know, to be able to like laugh again and be with other people and hear their laughter and enjoy yourselves um, out and not be worried about, you know, what's going on. Even if, say, you have to go to a theater performance and you're wearing a mask, but if you're laughing and you're enjoying yourself, you're going to forget about whatever you you know, everything that's happening outside. Um, But then I can also see, I can see kind of two sides. I can see maybe that there's going to be a kind of push more towards this like physical theater, interactive theater, where there's not so much of a barrier between performer and audience as this kind of collective that we are here together to do something. And that we as performers are here to like give you a catharsis for what you need but also like you are here to give us the catharsis that we need as performers. Um, So I can see that. But then on the flip side, I can also see kind of a more strict barrier where some people, they don't want that connection. They just want to be there to be entertained. Um, And I think both are, are valid. I think the tricky thing is going to be that I don't know that anything will be, that will come too soon that will really be talking about like, the tragedy of this particular event because I don't know that like even any kind of like symbolism towards it that people would be ready for that also because there's you know a tricky thing of trying to show like pity on stage where some people can tap into it but it can also be a real turnoff for audience members because they don't want to see someone pitying themselves um but I think eventually you know it can be something where we can talk about this situation and theater and art in general 
can be a very nice way to mask it, so to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that in that. Well, I mean, I did mean it in that way, but <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to come out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. It'll be interesting. I think it's. I don't think it's going to like pick up immediately right after this. I think it's going to be a while because maybe people aren't going to realize how much they need the audience aspect of like going to a film or going to a play when they've been sitting at home mm-hmm. watching so much Netflix and so many films at home. But I think at a certain point, they'll need that community feeling that you get from being in the same room as people. Yeah, it's it's definitely been yeah. it's definitely m- more apparent now than ever the that like you said the symbiotic relationship between the artist on stage and the mm. audience and how they feed off of each other and it's it's interesting to see like people do these kind of remote theatrical performances yeah. without without the benefit of an audience to kind of cue in what it is that is um is funny or should be, you know, to have that sort of um, connection. Um, thank you. Thank you, by the way, for that was a, that was a very, I was like, Ooh, this could be a too heavy question, but I just <laughs> wanted, it was such a, I think it's interesting to hear what artists have to say about uh, what's going to happen moving forward because, you know, outside of, outside of like nine 11, which was a national tragedy for, um, you know, which for, mo- for us there, this is something that like the entire world has been affected like almost on the almost on like the exact same playing field because we're all still living and we're going to be living through it uh for a lot longer as well um so yes so thank you for that yeah yeah no that's so great yeah and and very very true and we're seeing that you know people you know it's not even i mean obviously people make their living being artists you know being musicians being you know whatever you know depending on people showing up and and being in an audience and paying for a ticket and whatever you know but there is still that that need to entertain or that need to have that kind of connection so doing you know these zoom or you know facebook live shows and things like that right. for people it's like it's just as important to to the creators and to the artists you know to have that that connection, you know, along with validation, along with all the other things that come with, you know, a reason you want to put yourself on stage anyways, you know, (laughs) you know, it's like, of course, it's nice to walk out to a theater full of people that are there to see you, you know? Um, (laughs) So, but but beyond that, but to also have that catharsis and to have that experience. I love that. I think that is, um, you know, good question, Joe. Yes. (laughs) Um, So make up for offending every Italian and Italian American. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, which Justine personally knows. So thankfully we did right. that. You know? Yes. <laughs> uh, so real quick before we take a break. So you wrote your master's thesis, uh, Dissecting Horror on Stage. What's the rest of the yes. title? Do you remember? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just for it's, fun's sake. Yes. Uh, Dissecting Horror on Stage, an examination of the evolution of horror in theater and the importance of comedy in subverting audience expectations. Boom. Listen to that. Um, See, and um, I still have not received uh, a copy of it uh, to, to, per, to peruse, to read. Uh, so I would like that at some point because it sounds okay. so it sounds so interesting. Uh, we said this all just so that way Joshua could 
uh, request his copy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this interview is exactly that. Well, you know, yes. I mean, we, we, we kick around ideas all the time about publishing a Fright School primer, and I see no reason why it can't include, you know, contributions from a Ms. Justine Hins, you know. Like. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Um, but just t- just real quick, just tell is it kind of it, it connecting to back to like the Grand Guignol that you were talking about, or is it more specifically Italian horror, yeah. or is it just it, no. it's just theatrical horror in general? Yeah, it's theatrical horror in general. I mean, it started with the Grand Guignol because since the the first time that I performed it, um, living in San Diego, I really kind of fell in love with the idea of it. This you know these horror films, but then also these kind of sexual farces, um, and. I forget what the topic was or why I wrote it, but uh, for one of my courses at university, I I wrote a paper about the Grand Guignol. And then when I was thinking about my thesis, um, I kind of came back to that. And I kind of look at theater um, or horror in theater throughout history. So starting, um, you know, back with Oedipus and, you know, the the kind of horror or tragedies of the Greeks and then looking um, at Titus Andronicus, which has also been a love of mine since I discovered it. Um, and then also looking at Japanese horror, um, the, the puppet plays that they did and the love suicide plays um, and kind of looking at how um, horror in theater developed until the point of the Grand Guignol as it, the kind of heyday of horror in theater. And then, after that, once, you know, as we talked about before from Joe's question of, you know, how the real world horrors have an influence on, on art, um, kind of how you can approach horror in theater now. Um, and so I kind of looked at two different versions. There's a, there was a production at the Globe of Titus Andronicus that was really popular and also became quite famous for the number of people who fainted in the middle of the performance because of the amount of blood. <laughs> um, and then a production of 1984 on Broadway, which was also noted for the n- people, number of people fainting. Um, and so I kind of look at those two and kind of look at like, the reasons why people fainted and what I thought was successful about them or not successful. And really the kind of thing that tied it all together is that throughout history, there's always been an element of comedy in the horror plays and that particularly with the production of Titus Andronicus, the reason why I think so many people fainted is not really because of the amount of blood, but because of the um, kind of guilt that they then felt on themselves um, for what happens in the play and the way that the audience is involved at the very start um, in a comical and funny way to kind of support the villains that when they continue to support them up until the the rape and mutilation of Lavinia uh, in the play, there's a whole shift with the audience. You can hear it even from the the taped performance that I watch, the, the silence that occurs. Um, and to me, it's this kind of shift between comedy and horror that really has made it um, effective. And to me, that's kind of the way forward to approaching horror in theater specifically um, because you can't do the same things on film that you can do in theater um, in the same kind of effective way. So you have to find different methods. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. See, I want to read this. <laughs> and, um, 
and then cite it in future episodes. <laughs> you like me because we were talking, you know, when we were trying, when we were settling on movies and stuff and, and, and talking about um, Titus Andronicus. Yes. Uh, we talked about the film, the Titus film with uh, Jessica yes. Lang. Had you seen that? Yes. Yeah. That was kind of my first introduction to Titus Andronicus when I was yeah. um, in uh, studying at University of England. Oh, it's such a great version it's of that great. story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Awesome. Oh my gosh. So, so, I mean, we could, you're right. We could just keep talking about all of this for another hour and a half or two or <laughs> do a whole other show. We'll just start another, Joe, let's host a new podcast. Um, <laughs> horror on stage. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a real quick break and we'll be back to uh, discuss. Um, thanks. Thanks again, Justine, for all of that. Oh, so good. So good. So um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Inferno, uh, Dario Argento's Inferno. We'll be right back. That's why I don't have sex. It's not because of my face and my general attitude towards human beings. The thing is that they don't refer to any of these things as murders, which is the most amazing part. It's always referred to as a disappearance. There's fucking blood filling the back of a truck. That was certainly nice of me, wasn't it? Huh? Same set as Castle. Um, what? Is that really? No, but I would believe it, actually. That wouldn't shock me. I can't imagine that there's a ton of castles that Charles Band has at his disposal. <laughs> that frog is going to bang Roddy Piper. Nope, she's just one horny toad. <laughs> Justin Lung just screamed that he's a fucking walrus for so long. He keeps yelling cuckoo ca and shit. <laughs> Join me and Matt as we discuss some of the worst of horror every week on the Horror Movie Night Podcast. Listen at HMNPodcast.com. All right. We are back to... Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> try to... Try to make some sense of um, <laughs> Dario Argento's uh, 1980 uh, film Inferno. It is a um, s- sequel uh, to 1977 Suspiria, which we've done on the show before. So certainly, if you've not heard that episode, go back and listen because uh, that was a fun talk. Uh, again, trying to make sense of Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've got um, you know a again you know a. a, a a group of witches or something <laughs> in a yeah. New York apartment building while several people try to figure it out and follow along and are garishly lit uh, <laughs> here and there. Uh, <laughs> um, but seriously though, it is considered the second part of Argento's three mothers trilogy, which, you know, uh, covers um, the uh, mother of tears, the mother of size, the mother of uh, sorrows. Uh, well, the mother of tears was released in 2007, which I still haven't seen that we should do. We'll have to, we'll have to finish this now. We'll Joe. We did Syria. Yeah. We're doing Inferno. We're going to have to watch the mother of tears. Um, so uh, what did you think, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, again, this, this movie falls into the category of if I owned a cafe and in the month of October, um, <laughs> I would just play this movie on a screen um, as people were walking in and out. Um, this that's as atmosphere. 
um, you know, like when you go to hipster places and they have like some like old timey movie, some silent film, <laughs> this is what I would, movie. exactly. This is what I would, I know this is from 1980 and this right. is old timey. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I, I would put it on there because again, like it's very atmospheric. Um, when I, when I think about like how to parody horror, like I immediately go to Suspiria and now Inferno just because like the the kills were just <laughs> the kills and the different deaths were just so like comical for me to watch and I don't know if that was the intention and I don't know because I'm watching it and I'm like I'm laughing but I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh and I think that's what's making me even more uncomfortable because there's just all these different things that are happening and things that are just unnecessary um but again, like it was, it was interesting. I probably won't see it again, Joshua, um, because and and I don't necessarily know if this is one of those films that I'd want to watch in an audience because I think it would just be uh, a lot of people going, "What the hell's going on here? What the hell's going on?" Um, I will say this: no, just be a group of people going, "I know exactly what's happening." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you what's happening here. Uh, I I'm very glad though that I watched Suspiria before uh, this because I think that was the only thing that was keeping the thread clean for me, like keeping the 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 very the very like delicate and minimal plot that was happening through. Like that was the only thing. I'm like, ah, oh, there are there are three mothers. Yes, I knew this because of <laughs> Wikipedia Suspiria after I watched it and I know that there are three mothers. Um it gives you a visual language, you know, exactly. into the film. You're like, okay, exactly. I kinda know where we're at. <laughs> and like I have to say, like the the version that I watched looks great in like high definition, just yeah, like all those colors. Beautiful. That the first note I wrote was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty. I feel like like Suspiria, Inferno, like these these two films specifically are just like if you wanted to do like very like highbrow Halloween like decor it would just be like screenshots and lighting from these two films (laughs) um you know if you want people to like know that you you know you are that bitch with Halloween like you can just have like yeah with how my 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 scene that I was go to in Suspiria is like where she's like behind a curtain holding a knife and her eyes are big and she's like this and it's just like (sighs) oh (laughs) Um, and there was a lot of that there was a lot of big eyes knife holding in um, in this film too true true Uh, Justine what what were your thoughts on on watching this (laughs) I haven't seen Suspiria so I didn't know anything (laughs) about the three mothers Um, and I I told Joe to I watched it in Italian um, so I think, may, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I've gotten really used to like dubbing over here and like watching things in Italian. And I will say that maybe like the Italian voices helped a little bit to add to like the the mystery and wonder of what the heck is happening. Um, but <laughs> I agree. I think it was pretty. I think there was some really visual, like, um, you know, like set decoration wise, really 
kind of stunning and made me think about some really interesting, you know, like moments of like modern horror too. Um, but yeah, there, there definitely were times where I was like, I don't know, I don't know what's happening here. Like, I don't know who this person is and why, why they're here. <laughs> um, yeah, some, some interesting things, but you know, I thought it was kind of enjoyable in, ter- <laughs> in terms was of like kind of enjoyable <laughs> <laughs> you know thinking about um some of these different uh, yeah ways of killing off these people who are curious about the three mothers or who right. knew too much which- yeah, I th- which I do think is kind of the overall like plot in a way is that you know you have um, Rose who is a poet, which has nothing to do with anything, but they keep reminding you that she's a <laughs> that poet. she's a poet. <laughs> um, but I don't so hear the- her ever say a poem. <laughs> <laughs> what does she say? She's like that's a that's a that's a profession well suited for women. Uh, yeah. the, the nurse, <laughs> the nurse who's like unnecessarily throwing shade in the, for the guy in the wheelchair, and it's just like yes, nice. that's a profession that it's like oh does she work like yeah she's a poet like oh yes a poet (laughs) and i'm like you're a nurse like she would know about women's work but then (laughs) she's around you know so we know why she's such a catty catty woman but you know we can pet about that um oh my gosh what were we talking about (laughs) how did we get over there real quick how did we get to the cattiness about Rose and, and, and her poetess, how she's a poetess. She's right, a poetess, so we're trying to, trying to say what the damn movie's about. So obviously <laughs> Rose, like, thinks that she's living, you know, in this building. She reads one book and goes, oh, I'm in this building. This is where the witches live. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, because In Latin with her Latin dictionary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, it's very very strange. Um, and then she like goes downstairs to the basement that is atop a flooded ballroom for some reason. Right? <laughs> like, uh, can a building sit over a giant thing of water? Like, I mean, it's I don't know. It's so- in Venice, maybe. But I was like, I mean, I know Argento was Italian, and maybe this was like we're in Venice now. But I was like, why? First of all, white lady, why are you going in the hole in the water? Like, don't do that. Or, yeah, but they're in New York. So, like, that's yeah. that part is in New York. So it's just so bizarre. It's like, what is happening? Um, yeah, and it was like that little hole, and it's like, don't go in there. What is wrong with nice. you? Like, Leave your brooch. And- <laughs> exactly. Leave your brooch, whatever that is. And oh man, that and that scene went on forever. Like it all. Did. Of- all of these sequences like go on forever, but that one specifically went on for a long time. Um, yes. But I had the same thought, Joshua, where it was like, I don't think it's structurally sound to have like, <laughs> like a, an entire like apartment building or even the store on top of what appears to be like a like a flooded ballroom or a storage unit for the mother of sorrows or whatever. Like, <laughs> yes. So, but you were saying, Joshua. So, well, you know, I think it kind of plays like uh, so. Much like Suspiria, I mean, Argento easily style over substance. There's a lot of that here. But there's also, I feel like, you know, there's so much um, purposeful, like, dream state in that. You know, there's a lot of Mm. dream logic. Like, of course, this building is 
suspended over some kind of underwater right. ballroom thing. Uh, you know, there's lots of moments like that. There's lots of moments in this where it's, um, like very Wizard of Oz, you know, like they're all, mm. they want to find, you know, these witches and, uh, you know, she wants to discover the secrets of this building that she's living in. You know, in the end, you find out that like the dude in the wheelchair is the guy, is the architect, is, you know, so it's very behind the curtain, you know, kind of thing. Right. There's lots of elements of that, of like that sort of dream logic, you know, when they're wandering through, it's like there's stairs and, uh, you know, rooms upon rooms and, you know, it's like nobody can get in or out of anything without <laughs> lots of drama and lots of, you know, wide eyes and red and blue lights. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so there's just like, and that's true for Suspiria as well, you know? And then I think about that influence on like audition, Joe, you know, mm -hmm, that whole, mm -hmm. the whole thing of using the red and the blue light in, uh, which is a Japanese horror film. I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. or seen that, uh, Justine mm -hmm. audition. Um, you know, but it kind of plays with the same, the, it uses it. I think that that is very clearly influenced by Suspiria and Inferno, you know, the, the sort of use of that dream logic. And, um, so I think that's a lot of this film, you just kind of suspend. It's like, you are in this like waking nightmare with these people. They have opened this up and now nothing really needs to make sense because they're mm. all suspended in this, like. Because every, because everybody becomes involved, you know. I right. think about when um, when uh, uh, the the man that goes to drown the cats, which that was a horrible scene, by the way, where he's right. holding that cat up. That was very very terrible. But you think he yeah. goes out and he drowns the cats, but then like he falls in and he's in trouble, and the guy, the like hot dog vendor, comes and stabs him to death. It's like wait, right. <laughs> why yeah. is he involved here? But it's like that influence this this um, witch this. Um, presence uh, is right. putting on everybody i thought about you immediately when everything with the cats happened joshua mm -hmm. i was like this is one of those situations where joshua's gonna like you know like run through the <laughs> run to the television it, um, it was very uncomfortable to watch it was uh, because it was yeah. obviously real you know it was yeah. one of those things where it's like he's holding that cat you know like it's upset uh <laughs> so i hope he got scratched me too. <laughs> Somebody should have gotten scratch. Well, Argento got real sick while making this. He was like on his back oh. for some of it. He had some kind of like hepatitis or something. Oh. Um, I, I was reading about that. He got, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he became stricken with a severe case of hepatitis and had to direct some sequences while laying on his back. So he doesn't have a lot of fond uh, memories of, of making this film. You know? Neither do we of watching. So sick, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I, I, you know, I think it does have some interesting because you know it starts off with Rose, and you think, okay, we're following Rose, and then it jumps to Sarah, and you think, okay, now we're following Sarah, and then finally it's Mark. Uh, Mark you know, yeah. becomes our like again a final boy, uh, kind of. <laughs> this isn't really. I mean, it is a slashery film, um, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, like a lot of. Uh, in that kind of idea of like, you know, a masked killer, you know, murdering people, but there's this whole other element with witchcraft <laughs> and things like that. Joe, you had sent me a message asking if I thought it was, should be considered part of like, uh, as a Jalo or part of like the Jolly films, um, which I thought was an interesting question because I'm not, I don't know. I'm not really sure how I would, <sighs> it definitely has those, um, 
types of like ultra violent, bloody like deaths. Mm-hmm. You know, but I don't know if it's considered for the listener. Can you can you just remind them what a what the jolly are? Uh, so I mean, it's just like a particular type of Italian horror that's like murder mysteries, but they were kind of known for like ultra violence, you know, blood, gore, um, you know, dating back to I think the uh, the first official. Jalo film is from 19 uh let me say i had it here the girl who knew too much mario bava 1963 um who actually worked on this film as well i think he did um some of the oh shoot what was his what was his work on this um uh, inferno as the other <laughs> <laughs> he was the hot dog vendor <laughs> He was the, right. He did some optical effects. He did some of the maquettes, other trick shots and things in the film, which is interesting. Um, you know, so it's like, it's a very particular, like, I don't know, like low budget. I don't know. Can, can you talk to this at all? Um, um Justine? Well, oh, oh, it's going to say Justine. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> About Jalo, well, have you seen any of I what's mean, considered Jalo or, or studied it? You know? Well, I think, Honestly, now, like, Jalo is considered just, like, murder mystery or, like, mystery. And I don't think there's now as much of this aspect of, like, ultraviolence or horror involved. And so I've, I've honestly never really looked into the history of it. But I wonder if this is kind of like a, a turning point in, like, the genre of, like, it becoming, you know, something more or... To me, like watching it, I wouldn't consider it to be like a giallo in terms of what it's considered now, um, because I think it's much more on like the horror side um, than what a traditional like thriller kind of murder mystery um, is like. Um, so yeah, I mean that's about as much as I can say on it because I don't really know much about like the history of the films at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because it also is kind of from, like, a literary tradition as well. Yes, of yes. like, pulp fiction kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, because I kind of consider, like, I mean, there, there's a lot of um, Jalo, like, online, you know, I think Shudder or um, Full Moon, mm-hmm. one of them has, like, a whole bunch of Italian horror films that I think are considered as part of, like, the, the, the Jalo film um collection Mm -hmm. uh you know but i just i've kind of always seen them as sort of like these you know like american b movies like drive-in ultra violent you know um what do you call that like um exploitation cinema exploitative you know and i think they have that massive like you know when you're a kid in like the 60s and you get a hold of these like italian french or i mean italian horror films sorry i was also thinking about french Mm -hmm. like fantastic stuff um blending things together here <laughs> but you get a hold of these like um horror films that are just really kind of like to us what like saw was you know in the 60s you're seeing yeah. people with their eyes being gouged out and their throats being slit and there's this like really really bloody you know gore and then of course they go on then to make you know stuff in in the 70s and 80s you know birthing i think you know i think all of that is coming out of that sort of like what can we get away with now in american cinema mm. because you know the italians you know they're able to make these films and put them out of course with like x ratings or with you know lots of 
people get sued and all sorts of things happen, you know, of like trying to suppress this, this sort of content, um, mm. particularly because so much of the violence is perpetrated on women, much like American horror. Uh, you know, there's some really, really disturbing scenes. I was just watching one, Don't Torture a Duckling, uh, about like this village where like a witch is accused of like killing the local children. And it has this really horrible um, violent scene where she's like attacked by the villagers and beaten up. And it's just so like violent. You think being like a kid watching that and then like, huh, I'm going to make the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, right. <laughs> it just, you know kind of like feeds in, feeds into that. So I, but again, to, I guess to go back to Joe's original question when, when he texted me, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider this part of that. Um, it does feel, it feels a little bit not elevated. I hate saying that, you know, like the, it just mm-hmm. feels like it's more than just like, we're trying to shock you with violence, mm-hmm. you know, which I feel like is kind of in the way of like the grindhouse films or Jalo films or things like that, where it's like, how much can we get away with? Right. There seems to be more intention. I mean, Argento, you know, Argento's on our tour, you know, he's mm-hmm. so there's more intention behind everything. Um, just uh i i i think that we'll probably post it on the facebook but uh our former guest michael Verratti, a friend of the pod he um he did a series of like horror history videos uh for reverie around a while back and he has this really uh very succinct uh five minute uh video on what giallo is um, oh well, which, we should have watched that before this. <laughs> well, it, well, it's, hold on. Which is why I, which is why I brought it up because having having seen the clips, I'm like, okay, so I think like stylistically, it's very there. But this is definitely like a departure in terms of pacing and atmosphere. Um, and I think the most the most interesting thing that I took from the video was the fact that uh, the word giallo is from the Italian word for yellow, which is what the pulp novels were. They were these yellow books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, they still are. Oh, so they still have them? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Ooh, okay. There's a, whole, there's a whole section, like in, in bookstores, the Jalo section, where, I mean, the covers are still yellow. That's pretty cool. Um, and yeah. also, uh, shout out to another pod uh, run, run by some awesome queer folks called Girls, Guts, and Jalo, where every <laughs> week they discuss... Um, uh, exactly those three things. <laughs> um, my, it's interesting. Cause like what, one thing that I will say about this particular film is the idea of, you know, we've been talking a lot about empathy. We've been talking a lot about, you know, that relationship between, um, the, the horror and like, you know, forcing people to confront horror in various ways. And what's interesting is that like this, I was very aware of you know he, he Argento in this film loved to use an extreme close up <laughs> and he was not afraid of those those really like close and tight shots but what was cool was the fact that like you know the we the intimacy that that affords right so the intimacy mm-hmm. of like literally watching someone you know have like being eaten alive by rats <laughs> and right. and and we're right there and forcing us to forcing us the audience to um experience that and as if we are also the ones perpetrating it so you know again mm-hmm. talking a you know kind of linking back to the idea of complicitness and and our culpability in the violence as well um 
the which is one of the one of my favorite tropes of um horror is the idea that like the audience is also partially responsible or fully responsible for the violence that's happening yeah that that's great joe <laughs> it was i really I reached complicit for that. in violence and the death of these people without actually like, having to hey, get messy I was like, I just really, I just really reached for that. Um, my only other note was, um, well, two more notes. My one note was like, I finally understand. Like, I, I think that this film, if I could ever sit down with the creators of the HBO show Los Spookies, I want to ask them if like they got their, <laughs> I got an inspiration from this film specifically. Cause there was a lot of like weird hand like acting with like prosthetics and gloves. Um, And there was a lot of light and all of that lighting too. And, you know, in Los Spookies, it's a comedy, but you know, there's a lot of weird hand acting. Um, And then speaking of hands, uh, can we please talk about um, my favorite kill of the entire film, which was the like blunt uh, window pane that Sarah gets like half decapitated on. Right. <laughs> like sling it down and up. <laughs> I was like, okay, are you, I was like, okay, oh, okay. So this is a slow motion thing when they're pulling it down. And I'm like, oh no, it's stuck. So just bring it back up and put it back down. And I was like, oh, okay. So, so it's not, she's not even afforded the, um, the decency of like a quick clean death that usually beheadings no. have, right? No. It, it's this like very labored. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, um, the guillotine was like that, though. I exactly. Mean, it, I was just going to say. It wasn't very effective. It, it no. <laughs> no. I mean, I think, yeah, that I'm sure that that was done on purpose in this sense of like, you know, that you often think, even like when you watch, you know, films with, you know, of, I don't want to say like samurai, but yeah, when you watch a lot of these things of like, you know, Asian soldiers and warriors and they like swipe someone's head off. It's like, it's not that easy. I mean, not from personal <laughs> experience do I know, but like, <laughs> you know, like it's not, it, it is something that probably like with the guillotine, we know it took a while or it took a few tries for it to like fully, you know, behead someone. So it's, you know, maybe a bit more, comical or far-fetched that it's a, a window but yeah. maybe the the kind of uncomfortableness of it is really something you know on purpose well again you know it's just that complicitly complicit complicity of like a very horrible like death of a woman you know in that scene right. because it's like at least with the guillotine the idea is like you know if you put your head in first at least your spinal cord gets severed maybe you don't feel that much you know right right away but this is like the front we like, have to doing it and she's just screaming and squirming it's like oh my right. god can we just get this over with jeez yes <laughs> And there's blood everywhere, and it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's very, um, and there's lots of discussion about that, you know, because Dario Argento, he's not, um, at least from what I've read, has not been known as some, like, raging misogynist, like, out mm-hmm. in public, you know, his the, his uh, partner at the time, um, um, uh, Daria uh, Nicolodi, like, she, had, she was a co-writer on Suspiria. She did write on Inferno. I do think she had kind of a tough time getting the co-writing credit, uh, but she also wrote on Inferno, but decided not to, like, pursue that for whatever. So maybe, the, mm-hmm. I guess, that in and of itself speaks a little bit to it. But he wasn't, mm-hmm. like, known for being some kind of gross asshole. But his films... Right 
you don't feature a lot of that. So it's like, well, what is, what's happening here? You know, like yeah. what's, um, what, what, what comment are we making, Dario? <laughs> right. So his partner was named Daria. Yeah. <laughs> so they were Daria and Dario Argento. Or well, her like no, no. Italians do not do, do not take the husband's surname. That is not a thing here. Oh. Okay. Okay, Italy. We see you. <laughs> Wait, so Joshua, who is Asia Argento then? Is that his daughter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, okay. uh, his daughter with um with her, I believe, with Daria, with uh, Nicolodi. Um mm-hmm. I believe. I think that is Yeah, I because children yeah, do take their their father's name yeah i believe that is her daughter because she was in a movie with her uh yeah asia she's in um mm-hmm. she's in the third one she's in uh mother of sorrows uh mm. tears mother of tears mother yeah. of tears so which which mother was was this the mother was this mother tenebrare was that who this one was yeah because i was expecting i, I have to say based on the Based on the big expositional speech about who the mothers are in the very beginning, where when she's reading her, you know, going through her Latin to English dictionary, um, I was expecting a lot more cruelty um, mm. because they said that like the that that particular mother is the one who is the worst one she's the youngest the most beautiful and the most um darkness you know, mother of darkness that's her yeah mm-hmm. um and the most uh awful so i was just thinking like okay well maybe we're gonna get like some really really twisted deaths and i'm saying that knowing full well that like we just described like a man getting eaten by rats and a woman like getting like halfway decapitated by a blunt window pane but i i was ex- <laughs> i don't know i don't know why i was, I was like I was like, that's just not doing it for me. I'm expecting more. And I blame Joshua for this, um, having done this for five years. Um, I was just like, I wanted more. I wanted it to be more awful than it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, you know, it's that style over substance kind of thing. You know, I mean... Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because there is there is a great mythology that he's working here. I like the ideas of it. I like the ideas of these three, you know, entities that are living together and they're conspiring and they're responsible for the sorrow of the world, you know, and um, and that they, you know, are, are trying to take it over, um, you know. But, yeah, it's – again, it's it's not exactly like black and white, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's red and blue. Yes. <laughs> this kind of, you know, uh, very dreamlike quality. Uh, speaking of that, um, one last thing I wanted to cover um, that I, I thought was interesting. I found this um, this article, uh, Code Blue, Color Theory in Dario Argento's Inferno, written mm. by Stuart Jester. Uh, this is from October of last year, updated. Uh, so it was kind of examining, you know, the way that, you know, red and blue is used within uh, Suspiria and Inferno. And I thought it was pretty interesting, like just something to kind of examine in the, in, in the film. Uh, so in Suspiria, blue, uh, most of the actual danger and violence happens under a blue glow. Uh, you know, when Pat is murdered, the hand reaches through a blue window. The attic and the barbed wire room are blue. Helena Marcos's room is blue. The scene with the maggots, uh, obviously a symbol of death and decay, is bathed in a blue glow. Um, 
and whether or not that is in Suspiria being used as a way to just contrast with the red or if it's trying to say something larger, mm-hmm. you know, the, this particular writer leaves, you know, to your, you know, to us because he's focusing more on Inferno, which he says the blue is much more present. It's dominant uh, at some points and the glow is much more unnatural. Uh, so it's like, obviously there's this emphasis on water. And even though the water isn't always this idealized blue, you know, it's this, um, there's a connection there with like blue water, right. red fire, you know? So, and um, he's what he's, the point he's trying to make is that in Inferno blue is denoting danger and that it. It also is creating um, – it's used effectively because you think you're being lured into, like, a false sense of, like, security. So when things are blue, it feels mm-hmm. like it's okay. And then that's – everybody dies in this, like, you know um, – she dives into the underwater ballroom. Everything seems fine. She gets her key. She swims up. And then all of a sudden this like floating corpse comes out of nowhere. Uh, the guy with the cats, you know, he thinks he's killed the cats. He thinks he's okay in the water and the blueness. Uh, and then the rats attack That's him, good. uh, you know, kind of goes on and on, you know, with these kind of, uh, pointing out, uh, this, this, this color and then talking about, and then he's applying that then to like the end of the film where the only way out is through again, like is to get through the, you, he has to run through the fire, you know, right. he has to go through the red. He has to get away from, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and the other, he's, he's analyzing Suspiria and uh, Inferno in this idea of like the danger of stagnancy. The seventies and eighties were a time of social growth and progress. So these old buildings, these ancient mm. witches, they're like the past and Mark and Susie, Susie's from Suspiria. They're newcomers into this old world and they represent this uh, progress and change for a younger generation. So they are, they end up defying the ancient ones and escaping when so many others failed to do so. And they do it by running into the red, mm-hmm. uh, running through the fire. Cause both films kind of end very similarly. This, I mean, Inferno in a lot of ways is very, very similar to, to Suspiria. Um, and so I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting way, mm. you know, to analyze it, that these, the reds, blues, blood, water, you know, there's all of this sort of, um, possibility for right. you know, a larger interpretation. So just throwing that out there to the group. Uh, <laughs> I, I turned my, uh, Joe's mic is my, blue. <laughs> yes. My mic is blue. I turned my smart light, uh, blue to connote danger. Yes. Um, <laughs> He's like, and now here, here. Here. this makes no and sense. Now and now it's red, and I will overcome uh, <laughs> this film, and you will never watch it again. <laughs> I, again, like I, I, you know, Joshua, you, you, you're the one who introduced me to like movies that movies to put on to, you know, uh, to elicit a certain type of atmosphere that you're look, hoping for, right? So the rainy day film and what have you. So like with these two films, like they're just so beautiful and like very much these like pieces of art uh that like i would just have them on if nothing more than just to kind of live in that world for a little bit um as like as like as like pieces of like narrative storytelling (laughs) not so much (laughs) but like as you know as just like fun uh, as a beautiful work of art that's you know um moving like mo- these moving pictures you know yeah. literally motion picture i i i think it's more effective for me in that way i mean like i have 
Suspiria is one of my uh, one of the favorite films that I've watched, but I don't bring it up often only because like, I just love the visuals of it. And, and it's Mm -hmm. the, it's, it's one of the films that, that we've done in, in fright school where I'm just thinking like, Oh, these are, this is, these are images that are going to be with me for a long time. Like they're going to be with me. um, They're going to be with me for a very long time. And I can't shake that. And I've been still trying to find like the perfect, picture of um i forget her name um in suspiria where she's like behind the curtain her eyes are big and she's holding the knife like to frame just because like that image where the blue (laughs) and that and in that scene speaking of color in that scene the blues and the reds are crossed so you Mm. and they're very stark blue very stark red um that are crossed with each other so i've yeah so it's it's not necessarily like a something that i would watch normally but it is something that i would you know that's that's the one you wheel out on a special occasion right right yes um it's very theatrically lit um i mean did you think uh justine like the it's it has a theatricality to it like it's such yes, a set definitely yes no i agree i mean i think there's a, there's a big theatricality about it um and even i mean just looking at the the kind of architecture and set design. I think, I feel like it's very much, this is like a a kind of like a setting too, that you could imagine if you were going to like a haunted hotel, but like not just the kind of one that's like just for like scare tactics, but like also that like looks very beautiful, like, you know, um, and because of the beauty of it, you know, there's something wrong. Right. About it, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. Like Joe, the, the, the scene where Mark is talking, um, I can't remember her name. Um, and they're like, I'm in like the hallway or whatever. And it's like red and black. Um, it's like when Mark just arrives, it made me think about our hotel in New York. Yes. <laughs> you know, this is this like really kind of like fancy boutique hotel that immediately we are like, we're in the hotel Cortez. Like, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's so beautifully like, you know, put together that, you you immediately know that there's something not right because it shouldn't yeah. be this beautiful in a sense. Um, ah, so I, I love the way that. you phrase that. <laughs> and I, it's, to me, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's just so true because, like, it it's true about buildings. It's true about characters in film and in in theater, where it's just like there is this like unimpeachable beauty um about mm. about them but like at the same time like you're just tr- waiting for the other shoe to drop you're waiting for to figure out what is where where the disfigurement where the ugliness lies is actually within you and not on the right. outside right. oh it's so good so good josh uh okay. justine so good <laughs> yeah Awesome. Well, that is the perfect place, I think, to wrap this up. Uh, folks, you can find Inferno. I think we found it on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I think it's yeah. on Amazon Prime in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. He, um, here it's not. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have to pay for uh, this? <laughs> no, I found it on YouTube. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> awesome. Well, there we go. It might also be available on YouTube. You don't even need an Amazon yeah. Prime account. It's in um, Italian, though. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Well, hey, you know, good time to practice. Uh, it yes. doesn't really matter, you know. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like, 
I don't know what anybody's saying, but it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> we're just following along. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, Justine, thank you so much for uh, crossing the space and time continuum to be with us today. <laughs> uh, what time is it there right now? It's uh, just past 730 in the evening. Ah, perfect. Yes delicious you're ready to yeah delicious almost time for dinner yeah yeah there we go um all right well we do we really really thank you for taking some time to uh to hang with us and we should definitely do this again um yes. especially once i read your paper and then we do a whole <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a whole two episodes about it we'll do more we'll do more and more and more um we hope that you're having you know just a lovely life there you are very missed here but um so cool that you're just just living and doing the thing. <laughs> <laughs> just doing that thing called life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, jo- sounded, oh, that sounded like it could have been shady. I was like, it's so cool that you're just living. <laughs> you know, well, hey, if you didn't catch the COVID, uh, it seems like she's doing okay. Uh, teaching yes. and acting and the- theatering. <laughs> right. Uh, but we adore you, and uh, so thank you for being here t- with us today. Joe, as always, intrepid explorer. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I adore you. I miss you. I miss us all being able to be in the same damn room together. I know we keep saying that. It's the broken record, but that's that's life. So. Yeah. Uh, and you, dear listener, thank you for once again joining us for another uh, fun episode. Please check this uh, movie out and uh, hit up our Instagram for funny photos and <laughs> like, rate, subscribe, all of those things. Do all, all the of things. those things. <laughs> all righty. Well, good night. Ciao, ragazzi. <laughs> School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.